Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. We're going to be continuing on in our series looking at Ephesians 3. So if you've got your Bibles, please grab it. In exciting news, um, oh no, I've actually just broken it. Um, this is the Bible that I've had, oh, that way around. This is the Bible I've had since I was 15. So it's like, um, or 13 actually. So it's like 15 years old. It says teen on it. And now it's still appropriate because I work with young people. It's brilliant. Anyway, that was nothing that I needed to say. Let's, let's look at Ephesians. Before we jump in, uh, Ephesians 3 is very much a continuation of the previous two chapters. So we've got in chapter 1 the spiritual blessings in Jesus. And what happens at the end is, is that Paul's turned to prayer because of that. Then we go into chapter two and Paul talks to us about how we are made alive in Christ and made one in Christ. And he goes to turn back to prayer, but as we will see when we read, he gets deviated away again. Um, So let's read the first 14 verses together. If you've got your Bibles, I really encourage you to to read it um, with me. It says this. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus." I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, amen, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this ministry, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. What we have here is... As we come back off Ephesians 2, Paul goes to kind of move to prayer, but he gets distracted by his own sentence. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And it's, it's this statement that causes him to deviate because he needs to explain what the power of that statement was for the sake of you Gentiles, the mystery that's being revealed. And um, in my Bible, actually, there's not even a full stop to that sentence. It's literally like he's just gone mid-sentence for the sake of you Gentiles. No, I need to explain this. Um, there's like literally no full sort of dash, and it's like, next line, continue. And so what's that mystery that has caused him to deviate from what he wants to do, from what he wants to pray? It's this. It is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together in one body and sharers together in the promised of Christ Jesus. Come on. The mystery, the summarizations of the last bit of Ephesians 2 is that through the proclamation of the gospel, the Gentiles are to be received into the fellowship of Christ on equal fitting with Hebrew Christians. Paul declares in this, in this passage that that the Gentiles are heirs, not that they should be, that they are heirs in Christ. And I think for us, um, 
those who've always known, and maybe if you've grown up in, in the church, maybe you've just or, or always known this, but we can take for granted that at one point, we as Gentiles, which is what we are unless we've been born into the, born into the, the, uh, the Jewish uh, lineage, is that we, we weren't always included, apparently. It wasn't common. And for, for the Jews at this time, this was such a revelation. It was a, a, an unfathomable truth that actually that this is extending. It was a mystery that was being unveiled because what God knew, which they didn't know at the time, was that all along God had a plan to save all, not some. I'm going to say that again because that's important. So all along, God had a plan to save all, not some. We can see it. We can see the, the plan, the origins of the plan from Genesis. If you were kind of look at kind of from Genesis 12 onward, it's there. We can see, although the blessing of the Gentiles through the people of God was revealed, it was revealed in the Old Testament, you can see it there. It was not proclaimed or fully so extensively as under this new disposition. You know, Paul's not making the point that previous men could have done it. He's not saying that your forefathers did a rubbish job, like this was always there to be seen. No, it was at this time it was being revealed. It's the point that this mystery had not yet been revealed universally. They were in themselves no more capable after Christ had come than before. Because why? Because it was the Holy Spirit who was the instrument of this revelation. So what is this? What is this inheritance for the Gentiles? Let's, let's look at it a little bit further. We can see in Romans 8, 17, uh, Paul speaks of believers being co-heirs with Christ. Here in this passage, as in Galatians 3, 29 and 4, 7, he stresses the fact that Gentiles are co-inheritors of the kingdom along with the Jews. And that's how far that the withness, the togetherness of Jew and Gentile stretches. But it extends even further that they are co-members of the same body. Sisoma, I believe is the, the, the word that is used, is, is, is the same body and hence enjoy a corporate relationship. They are one body, one family, one entity together because of Christ. Because of Christ, Gentiles are fellow partakers of the covenant promise made originally, though never isolationally, to the Jews. I'm going to say that again. Because of Christ, Gentiles are fellow partakers of the covenant promise made originally, though never isolationally, to the Jews. You know, that mystery, and it really was like uh, something that really was being revealed to them in this time. It was something that Paul had to fight for. Um, this week, um, I had a lot of fun. Uh, we did our first Zoom the Bible, um, and we looked at Acts 16. And Acts 16 comes off um, the back of Acts 15, where Paul has to go, uh, Paul and Peter go before a council to, to fight for their missionary position towards the Gentiles. It says in, um, I'm going to read you this from Ephesians 9, the Passion Translation. It says this. It says, my passion is to enlighten every person to this divine mystery. It was hidden for ages past until now and kept a secret in the heart of God, the creator of all. Paul thought it was worth fighting for. It was a passion that burned inside of him. His, his heart for the Gentiles, was, he was passionate about it. His heart burned for it. He thought it was worth fighting for. There's a guy called Beat who says this. He says, the church becomes a mirror through which the bright ones of heaven see the glory of God. 
And in order to show them this glory, God committed the gospel to Paul. And I really this morning, it's a real simple question. What has God committed to you? (laughs) What are you fighting for? What does your heart burn for? Because I want to tell you this, which is that God wants to do with you what he did with Paul. (laughs) That maybe seems scary, but God wants to do with you what he did with Paul. You know, if we're the anointed ones, if we've been grafted into this family, if we're co-inheritors in the the kingdom, if all of that is true, which it is, then God's heart, what he burns for, runs through our veins. I love that song um, by Jonathan and Melissa Helzer, which says, uh, um, it says, I've been born again into a family. Your blood runs through my veins. It's a truth that if we've been grafted in, his heart runs through us. You know, if you've listened to any of my previous messages really from this last year, um, you'll, you will have noticed that I mentioned schools work a lot, working with CUs. And, I, and I'll tell you why, which is that my heart burns for CUs. And I, I will tell you, it, it's, it's, not, it's not just like I, I like working with them. It's like I literally am burning inside for them to see them saved. And praise God, we've seen loads of young people come to know Jesus. But I want to tell you where that started, which was actually in this room. A couple of years ago at Encounter, and at this Encounter, what um, if you kind of had walked in off the streets, you would have seen um, me in a heap on the floor crying, and it looked very messy. But let me tell you that what happened in that moment was was that I was as I was praying, God imprinted on me His heart for the young people in those schools, and what happened was my heart. Like I was literally crying and weeping over them and saying, God, if, 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 if who's going to go to them? Who's going to send them? And it was like this Isaiah 6 moment, which is like, God, here I am, send me. I will go for you. And my heart has never been the same. I have to fight for it, you know? Working in the CUs hasn't been easy. Working in schools hasn't been easy. I cannot tell you how many rooms we've been moved to. I, and there was one point where, where they actually tried to shut us down because there were too many kids turning up, which is a very interesting proposition. But we, we had too many kids turning up and they, and they tried to shut us down and we had to fight for it. And I fought for it because it was worth it, because God implanted his heart in me for it. And something changed, which was like, I cannot let this go. I want to ask you this. What does his heart burn for? Growing up, um, I uh, listened to a lot of Christian music, uh, and one of, um, and I've completely forgotten all of it now. Um, but one of the songs that have like stuck in my head is this one by Casting Crowns, which says, "This is, but if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching?" I want to suggest to you that God has put something on every person's heart, something that. He's implanted in every single person's heart something to burn for. And I think some people have many things. Some people may just have one thing. And because we are a body and because we're all created differently, the things that we burn for will be different, but they are on the heart of God. I want to suggest that if you're sat there going, Amy, I've got no clue what I'm burning for, then I want to suggest that maybe you aren't connecting in, that you aren't hearing, because I know that God wants to use you and he wants to put his heart in you. That's not, by the way, a chastisement. It's not a telling off, but it's an invitation into more because when you partner with God 
And anyone, anyone who partners with God, you know, I never feel more alive. I literally never feel more alive than when I'm doing what God has called me to do. When I am in the place where my heart is burning, I've never felt more alive. It's such a privilege. We see, don't we, with Paul. Paul actually writes at the beginning of the chapter, he says, I am a slave to Christ. He was actually just, uh, he was uh, in prison, yeah, through reason, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, it says. He was actually physically in prison, but he doesn't even mention that. He's like, I'm in prison to Jesus because of the heart that he's put in me. I don't even see these chains around me as a problem because I am all about Jesus. And he counts it, he finishes off the verse saying, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. He counts it as joy. And we see him say that in other places, which is that, that when we are in the where, where God wants us, when we are burning for him, there is no better place to be. I got a little bit distracted by that, but I want you to hear that, that God wants to use you. And I think one of the things that stops us, because I believe that honestly, I do believe that all of us will have a passion inside us and it will look totally different for each of us. But I think one of the things that stops us is that we believe that we have nothing to offer the kingdom. And I want to tell you today that there is nothing that disqualifies you for working for the kingdom. Nothing. Nothing. Paul is such a great example of someone who wasn't worthy to do God's work. We, um, we of course, we know the story that Saul was originally the guy that um, hunted down Jews and killed them and persecuted them. And yet God chose him to be the messenger I want for it, because I think we gloss over the fact that I want you to remember that every time Paul stood up to preach, he stood up knowing and being convicted of his sins, that he used to hunt these people down and kill them. Can you imagine what a disqualifier that was in the mind? And yet God chose him. We look at Peter, don't we? We look at Peter in the, uh, the New Testament. He is my all-time favorite dude because he is such a, like, he's, he's an absolute numpty. He, and and, and on, the, on the day that, that, you know, the day to say, I believe in Jesus, he denied him three times. And yet God says, on you, I will build my church. The point being is that there is nobody that God cannot use for the kingdom. It says this in Ephesians uh, verse 20. It says, never doubt, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and, and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. You know, Paul, despite his personal unworthiness as someone who persecuted the people of God, Paul was God's chosen instrument to carry his name to the Gentiles as well as to Israel, which is why he writes this. I'm going to read that again because I love it. It says it in the Passion Translation, verse 20, it says this, Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. God has chosen to fulfill his plan by using his church, and that makes no sense to me but it is his choice. I want to read you um, a quote from one of my commentaries. It's, it's really wordy. It's got a lot of big words in it, but I, I didn't want to... Um, I just, I'm just going to read it to you because I think the truth of it stands for itself, which it says this. It says, This liturgical ascription of glory is a recognition rather than an augmentation of what belongs to God alone. The close juxtaposition of the church and Christ is arresting. resting. 
As Thompson puts it, the honour of Jesus is in the hands of the church. He's chosen us. Are you going to burn for him? I know I've quoted a lot of songs today. I want to quote one more for you. Um, which says, um, there's this song that we used to sing within Warfare a lot. Um, and I love the words of it. So I'm just going just gonna, to um, remember them. Actually, I didn't write it down. But uh, it says this. It says, I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I'm never looking back. I surrender all. I'm living for your glory on this earth. This passion in my heart, this burning in my soul to see the nations bow for all the world to know. I'm living for your glory on this earth. So for the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me, light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. It's for the sake of the world that I'm asking you to ask, what are you burning for? And so we're gonna do this. We're coming into land. Um, and we're going to finish by actually, um, Sue's going to lead us in some worship. She's going to sing the song, Build My Life, Build Your Life. And uh, it's got incredible lyrics. The, the, the chorus says, um, holy, there is no one like you. There's none beside you. So open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your love and lead me in your love to those around me. There is no greater prayer. And I realise that church at home feels a little bit different, but it doesn't mean God wants to talk to us any less. So to finish, I'm going to pray over you the last uh, five or so verses of the chapter because it's a prayer and it's a commission. And so what I'm going to ask you to do now is to stand, to kneel, to get in a, a posture to receive and to enter in. So I'm going to read these verses and then we're going to go into some. So it says this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Holy Spirit, come, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses the knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness. Father, would you fill every single person now? And so now to him, now to Jesus, who is able to immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.